We've been uh, tracking uh, for several weeks in a row now in the same uh, series of teaching. We're calling it Gospel Fluency. We're saying, what if the message about Jesus could flow out of our lives more easily? I mean, what if it was more fluid? What if it flowed uh, from our, our mouths as we speak it? And uh, what if it uh, showed up more in our lives? And so we've been going through a progression. We started with the gospel to me is the truths about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, all those things. Is, is the truth about that good news to me? That's where we started. We said, because if we don't start there, it's not going to be good news. It's going to be hard to... Uh, Communicate it as good news to anyone else if it's not good news to me first. So we talked about um, asking the question, what does the gospel have to say about this area of my life or this challenge or this struggle or these things I'm going through? And that's sort of where we started. Then we, we said, now if you want to grow in fluency in the gospel, for the gospel to become uh, uh, more readily on your lips and more, and more uh, precious and valuable to you, the truths about Jesus as applied to your life, if you want those things to grow in you, then maybe you should be in a community where you're speaking the gospel to each other. So people who are followers of Jesus, who speak to each other and speak over each other's lives, the truths about the gospel. So when I uh, gripe or complain about something in my life, is there another follower of Jesus, another Christian, who will come alongside of me and be sympathetic towards me, empathetic, and put their arm around me and care about me, but at the same time, not forget to share with me the true the things that are true about God and the things that are true about me because of what God has done to be in a community where we speak those things over each other so the gospel in me the gospel uh, with us or to each other and now this week we're finally getting to uh, the gospel to others the gospel to others the truths about Jesus and how they apply to other people and uh, I'm just gonna go get my my helpful little friend, my favorite toy. Oh. Rear wheel steering. It was a good idea in the 80s, but it doesn't work anymore. All right. So I actually put stuff on the whiteboard mostly for my sake because I can't remember what I'm talking about. But if it helps you, that's great too. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful if it does help you as well. So I'm going to be reading out of 1 Peter. And uh, let me just, 1 Peter chapter 2 is the first verse I'm going to read out of. And then I'm going to read out of some other stuff too. All right, so let's begin with 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and verse 9. If you've got a Bible, it's at, near the back of the book. All right, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You might remember in weeks before I talked about how what God has done defines who we are. There's so many parts in the Bible where you say, where you see God did this, God sent his son 
to live a perfect life, the life we could never live, to die the death we deserve to die on our behalf, to, uh, th- to offer this incredible exchange, this incredible gift to us, that instead of us being uh, under the shame and guilt and blame of our sin, we could actually have the righteousness of Christ in exchange, that he, Jesus, would become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God, that we could be justified. And that's a theological word. It means that just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if I'd always obeyed like Jesus did. And so we've been talking about that, that what God does defines who we are. That because of what God has done, those who receive this gift of salvation, receive this gift of what God has done for them, who believe in it and trust in it and stop trusting in their own efforts but trust in God's efforts and what he has already done, that those people are redefined in their identity. So you'll see that here. This, he's actually starting with the identity piece, but it's in the context of what God has done. You, because of God, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That means you're a, like a representative of God uh, to the rest of the world. A holy nation. God's special possession. He's saying in all these different ways that you belong to God. This is, this is you, things have changed about you. And then he goes on to say, that, so you are these things, that for a purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you are chosen. You're chosen by God to declare a simple truth. I was in darkness without God. But God called me into the light, his light, and it's wonderful. That's the simplicity of it. I was in darkness without God. He called me into his light, and it's awesome. It's wonderful. So, we are a declaration people. We are a declaration people. That's one of the things we just can't get away from, is God has called us to declare this, this truth to the world of how we've been called out of darkness, how he's brought us into his light, and, how, and the wonderful experience that we have experienced in him. So now, let's go a few verses later to 1 Peter 2.12. So just down a few verses if you're looking in your Bible there. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though, that pagans is basically just people who don't follow God. It sounds like a derogatory term, but it wasn't so much. It was just clarification at that time. So don't get hung up on that. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live, let me read it again. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This was, this was really uh, important to people. The early Christians were very misunderstood uh, in the Roman Empire. Uh, only having one God, not a plethora of idols, was sort of strange. Uh, the fact, the meal that we just celebrated now was very strange when they talked about eating the body and blood. Of course, it's symbolism, but eating the body and blood of Christ, people actually accused the early Christians of being cannibals. They, they eat bodies. Well, you know, gossip spreads and it's not always accurate, right? But they had accusations leveled against them that weren't fair, that weren't truthful, but they had this command. They had this command. Even live such good lives 
that even when they accuse you of doing wrong, even wrong you haven't done. He says, you're living such good lives that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the, on the day he visits us. So live lives that draw attention to God. So he is recognized as the positive difference maker in your life. And this difference must be attributed to him and not you. So this is the display part of things. So we're saying we're going to de- declare what God has done, but we're also his people to display what he has done by living lives that line up with what he has done. And then I'm going to share one more verse out of 1 Peter. That's in chapter 3, and it's verses 14 and 15. And it talks about how you might suffer when people misunderstand you or people hate you or people don't like who you are or, or that you're a Christian. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear your threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, revere Christ in your heart. Revere Christ in your heart. How do you grow in uh, revering Christ in your heart? Well, we've been talking about that in the weeks before. We've been talking about, is the gospel good news to me? Is there areas, you know, I think how the gospel becomes greater and greater good news in the life of a Christian is when the things that we believe intellectually become things that we believe in our heart. Now, I believe, like, I believe all sorts of things about God. Lots of things about his character traits, lots of things about what he's done, lots of things about what he is. But it's the things that I've experienced. It's the things that I've experienced that sort of go from head to heart in my life. So I, I share different ones with you. I, uh, um, let me just recap really quickly. I shared about how I felt like I wanted, I felt this deep longing for a better father. And I was lying on my back one day, angry about my relationship with my earthly father, who was a good man, by the way, but I couldn't see it at that time. I was so hung up on uh, some of the areas of failing in his life. He was a human being, by the way, just in case you're wondering, uh, just like the rest of us. But I couldn't even give him that. I was just so stuck. I was so stuck. And it was when I turned my attention towards my heavenly father that this all changed, that I realized my heavenly father had affection for me, and was an affectionate, good father who spoke over his own son, Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know that statement? This is a blow your mind. This blows my mind. I can hardly get my head around it. That statement is ours in Christ. That statement is ours in Christ. If you grew up with a, a parents who didn't affirm you in any way, you have a heavenly father who is waiting to lavish affection on you. And we know he's an affectionate father because of the way he spoke over Jesus. Jesus, who hadn't actually at that point done anything, he hadn't served the the three years of ministry that really sort of changed the whole world. He hadn't done that yet. It was at the very beginning that God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so I had a longing for that affection, I cried out for that affection. I said, God, I'm so mad at my dad. I want him to change, and now I don't think he's going to change, and I'm, I think there's something missing within me. And so I cried out to God, and I found that he actually met me, and I realized that 
as I experienced God's affection, I actually became a better son to my father. I actually began to appreciate him more. I stopped being such an ungrateful wretch. I was. God changed me. Also talked about uh, uh, what, what happens when you... This is similar. Uh, boy, I should never draw on the fly. It's always scary. This is a thumbs down. You can't tell that but from there. It probably looks like something else. I can't imagine. No, it looks like a goldfish, sort of. Anyhow, uh, there's the fin. Okay, no, no. Okay, it's fun. You can just look at it all sermon long. It can, it can become many things to you. But it's supposed to be thumbs down. That's what it's supposed to be. But, you know, what if you, you are looking for something uh, from those in, a, in authority over you, like your boss or your supervisor? And we talked about that a couple times, how you might be looking for affirmation. Again, you can... Jesus is speaking a much better word over you to the Father than anyone is speaking over you in this world. You say, well, what does my supervisor say when he talks to the other supervisors in the back room? What do they say about me? I hope they recognize my hard work. I hope they recognize I'm a good employee. I hope they, you know what? If you, even if they don't, even if you serve uh, under people who don't give you any pats on the back, Jesus is speaking a far better word. And if you actually take that same longing to God, you'll find that he is incredibly affirming. And then the last one I was sharing was, uh, I'll just draw this one real quick. Uh, There we go. Is I had a compulsion in my life. Video game addiction. And I couldn't shake it. And I tried, and I tried. And I tried, and then, and this was fueled by shame. And it got, it didn't get better, but I, I, I kept trying. But then I realized the truth about God, that he is gracious. He is not piling shame on me. He's actually, uh, de- he's actually the only one who can deal with my shame and take it away. And, he's, and he did that through the cross. So, is it good news to me? I, I've, I keep writing these up here because I'm thinking that, these little snapshots, you know, you can almost say these are your, uh, like, they're almost like Instagram pictures or uh, Snapchat photos or something. These little snapshots, I, I hope that you are asking yourself, if I was to take a Snapchat, a, a Snapchat picture of what God has done in my life, what would it be? I mean, there's so many things we believe intellectually, but what are the things that have moved from the head to the heart they move from the head to the heart, and they become really real to me. They become really real to me. These are the things that are, you're going to be able to display because they become real. I was able to, uh, I was able to display my better relationship with my father to other people in the way that I regarded him and respected him. I wrote him a letter of honor to say, this is part of my healing process, to write him a letter of honor saying he was a really amazing dad and I was so glad he's my father and he did this right and he did this right and he did this right and because of that he blessed my life and he blessed others' lives as well. Our whole family was blessed because of him. That was a transformation because that's not where I was before. So a little bit was my new respect for my father was displaying what God was doing in my life. Uh, my not needing as much for my boss anymore, not keep trying to get or, or, or get that you know, affirmation from my boss because I was getting it from God, was displaying what God was doing. And uh, 
the fact that I was now winning more than losing in my battle with this controlling addiction of gaming was also a sign that shame was diminishing and I was experiencing more and more of the grace of God. So these are all ways in which the gospel had become good news to me. So they were on display, right? Steve, you used to be addicted to video games. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot more success in that area because of this. Uh, Steve, you used to, uh, you know, be such a needy employee or you used to be a, such a disgruntled son and all these things were changing in my life. So part of it was a display, but it also helps me declare it also helps me declare the truth about Jesus to others. I don't know if you've tried to share about Jesus with somebody and gone away and said, boy, that, I sure muffed that. I have lots of those. Lots of those experiences. And the only reason I don't have more of them is because sometimes I get so discouraged I stop sharing about Jesus. And you know what? I was reading, I, I didn't put this in my notes or in my passages, but I was reading, Jesus tells the parable, he says, the farmer goes forth and he's casting out seed, and it falls on all these bad types of ground. There's hard ground, and then there's ground where birds come along and pick it up, and then there's ground where the thorns come up and choke out the life of that seed. Oh my goodness, how discouraging. But then the farmer happens to throw the seed on some good soil, and it goes down, and it produces a crop that multiplies the seed. It's 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Well, maybe you've had experiences like I had where you threw some seed on some pretty hard ground or thorny ground, or it seemed like it was doing something, but then the, the birds came along or the cares of the world came along that person's life, and whatever you planted there didn't have any results. Well, don't be discouraged. So generously. So generously. That's, you know what? I've just had to say this to myself. I read this in an article, but I've just had to say it to myself because it helps me. Attempts, attempts to share my faith count. Attempts count. Every time I, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I want people to know who you are. I want them to experience life in you. I, I want them to be transformed. I want them to have etern eternity with you. Every time I say that and try in my stumbling way to communicate that to another person, I think it counts. I think it counts. I'm walking in the grace of God a lot more than I used to. Uh, I've had lots of ones where I go away and go, huh, I didn't do that very good. But it still counts. How does it count? Well, one, it counts in the fact that I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to think about that and think about, well, next time I share, what could I do better? But also, the fact is, sometimes you actually are getting seed onto a soil that is receiving it, and you just don't even know it. You think, boy, they, that seemed like it was hard ground, but actually it might have been soft ground. Or it might be hard ground that turns into soft ground later. Or someone totally rejects uh, what you have to say, but later on they can't get away from the truth that was planted. So don't be discouraged in those things. But here's the thing I want to I give to you this morning. I'm looking at my time here. Uh, I'm going to have to really finish. Uh, yeah, I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Is I want to take this, what I talked about last week, and I want to take it to, the, to this week. And that is listening. Let me write it. Listening. For whew, longings. 
So you say, I want the gospel to be more important in me. I want the gospel to be more transformative in me. Well, start listening to your own longings. This is powerful for this area. Listen to your own longings. What are you upset about? What are you mad about? What are you discouraged about? What is, what is an obstacle in your life, a, a trouble that you're, you're facing? There's probably a longing in that. And you know what? It is pointing us to the fact that we want something better. Last week I talked about how Jesus is the better that we are longing for. We are, it doesn't mean that we don't want this world to be better. It doesn't mean we don't want our relationships to be better. We don't want uh, politics to be better in our country. We don't want uh, social systems to be better. We don't want uh, crops to be better or the economy to be better. It doesn't mean any of those are, things aren't true. They are still true. But all of those things are pointing to a greater reality. That Jesus is the better. That Jesus is the better that we're looking for. He was the better father. He was the better boss. He was more gracious than I could ever have imagined. More compassionate to a failing leader. And so as we discover that Jesus is the better, it, it, it begins to work in this area and we are changed. But here's the other part. We need to also listen for longings as we attempt to declare the truth about Jesus. We need to listen for longings in other people. Let me share some scriptures with you. Proverbs uh, uh, 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. There's a lot going on inside a person, isn't there? Every single person. But the one who has insight draws them out. The one who has insight draws them out. How do you draw out what's going on in a person? You see, I've left this blank so far. This is their Instagram story. This is their Snapchat photo of what's going on on the inside of them. So you're talking, and you have this, and you're trying to share that, but also, what's going on in them? What are they believing? What are they experiencing? What is the area of your life that troubles them so much and that, and that you could be asking, how does the gospel apply to them? Well, how do you draw that out? A person of wisdom draws that out. And how do you do that? You do that through listening. Proverbs 18, 13 says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, he was a well-known Christian leader, probably most well-known in the 70s, 80s, roughly, I'm guessing. And um, he, he used to say, if I have an hour to spend with a person, I, and I, I'm hoping to share with them about Jesus, I spend 55 minutes listening so that I can use those last five minutes well. I spend 55 minutes listening so I can use those last five minutes well. And what are you doing while you're listening? You're listening for longings. As they complain, as they uh, pontificate, as they philosophize, as they tell you what they really think. As you listen, people begin to go deeper and deeper. They feel safer. They feel like I can really share. And then they, you, get, you get a chance to hear the longings that are in their heart. And that's what a wise person does, is they allow that to be drawn out so that you can speak the gospel to them in a way that's good news to them. 
you speak the gospel to them in a way that's good news to them. That actually, because we're trying to figure out through this gospel fluency series, how does the gospel apply to every single aspect of our lives? We're trying to get better at that. I'm noticing that in us, in our fellow Christians, and also in anybody you might meet. How does the gospel say to what they are experiencing? So don't answer before listening. Listen before you answer so those longings can be heard and drawn out. John 14, 6 uh, gives us great encouragement. It says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So you're not alone in this conversation. You're not alone in this conversation. And that's the other part I'm going to just add to this conversation is to listen to the Holy Spirit. So you're in a conversation with somebody. They're telling you about their terrible day or their terrible life or, or they're telling you about what they hope for in the future or they're telling you what's wrong with the world. Those are all hints. Those are all clues, right? And so you can listen to what they long for. So it sounds like you really wish for this or you desire this in your life. But also listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen upward. Right? You don't have to pray audibly, but you can internally say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me point this person towards Jesus. Now that's what the Holy Spirit's role is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit aces that. You're not going to, uh, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to do something different, but Holy Spirit, speak to me, guide me. And we have so much encouragement in Scripture. Uh, John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. It's Jesus saying it. I know them and they follow me. God will speak to you. God will speak to you if you listen. I'm asking you to listen more to people, but I'm asking you to listen more to the Holy Spirit as well so that this conversation, let's say you do only, you listen for 55 minutes and then you share for five. You want those five to really count? Listen for their longings, but also listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Right? Lord, you got something for me? Is there something I need to, to, say, to say or to share? Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is our partner in sharing the truths about Jesus in any interaction. The Spirit is our partner. Not, un, not unwilling, not resistant, not saying, well, let's just see what you can do on your own. Let's see what you can, you can prove and, and do. See how great you are at sharing about Jesus. No, the Spirit is there to help us in our weakness. Now, I'm going to illustrate this by just reading the story of Jesus out of John chapter 4. And it's one of the longer stories where Jesus is drawing someone out. It's Jesus um, um, hearing where a person's really at. Let me just go for this. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came, that's the path actually, it's a straight, straight path through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down from the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Already, Jesus is displaying he's different. He's displaying something totally different about how he's life. You know what? Your life could be a metaphor to show something very different. To understand if this just doesn't happen. People just don't. Like I try to think of what do Christians do and believe that is different from the culture around them. Uh, one of the ones that stands out to me is we are called to forgive our enemies. Actually, to love our enemies. That's probably the one that always stands out to me. We're called to love our enemies. Uh, we're called to pray for those who despitefully use us. We're, we're not supposed to be this greatly offended people. And this is an age of outrage where people are offended easily. So this is probably one that just stands out to me. There's so many more where Christians can really stand out. But Jesus stands out in this context because he speaks to the woman. Because Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. They didn't like each other. And especially Jewish men did not speak to Samaritan women. There was all sorts of boundaries he was crossing. He was a friend of sinners. That's what people would mock him with, although it was true about him in the best way. He really cared about people, and he was willing to engage anyone. And so that's how Jesus initially begins to display that he is so different. Let's keep going. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, this is just a little bit mystifying, but, but again, Jesus is not, he's not going, um, he's allowing for the process to happen. Let me keep going. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She doesn't understand what he's saying, obviously. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still not understanding. And he told her, and this is where the thirst that she really has is going to come out. Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Let me just pause for a minute. This woman is thirsty. She is thirsty. She is thirsty. She has had five husbands. And they have not satisfied They haven't. There's still a thirst inside of her. There's still a longing inside of her that these five different characters couldn't fulfill. And now she's with number six. They're not married, but she's with number six. And maybe hopeful that he will be the one, or maybe she's already experiencing the truth again. That he cannot satisfy the depth of the thirst within her to have life, abundant life, real life, satisfying life. Somehow that all her attempts to be in these relationships that might just satisfy is not, has left her thirsty. And Jesus has listened long enough to expose 
a longing to hear her say where she's really at, for her to trust enough. This guy who's actually on display, he's breaking the rules, he's listening to a woman, he's engaging her in, in, in I, I don't know how you read the dialogue, but I think it's a very respectful way that he comes to her, and now she's willing to say this. Why is she drawing water in the middle of the day? Because she doesn't want to run into this guy's ex, this guy's wife, this guy's wife, this guy, like, she doesn't want to run into the other women. She's got thirst, she's got some shame in her life, and Jesus isn't here to heap shame upon her, but he's here to satisfy her thirst and change her world. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It seems to me like a bit of a smokescreen. Let's talk theology, because that's a lot easier than talking about six guys. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. That was the, the... people God had chosen through which to bring salvation. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Not worshipers bound to a location, obviously, but but those who worship God in truth. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So we need to listen to get to the longing. And Jesus reveals himself. Now just then, it could have all gone badly. Just then, his disciples returned, and we're surprised to find him talking with a woman. Now these guys are notorious for really putting their feet in their mouth, so let's see if they wreck it all. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Somehow, I think they had enough discernment to be quiet. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see him, like, this is really important. When there's an altar call happening, don't talk. Don't interrupt, right? (laughs) Jesus is right at the crucial moment with this lady. These guys show up. I just think, oh, no, not the disciples. Please, shoo them off to the side. Don't let them ruin this moment. It's like the followers of Jesus often ruin this moment, just like I often ruin this moment, right? But somehow it's not ruined. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Oh, but that doesn't sound good, does it? Is that good news to her? I think is what is implied in this verse is, come, see a man who told me everything I did, and still love me. It's the thing we all fear. That we, we don't want people to truly know us deep down for who we really are because we're afraid that then they would reject us. If they truly know what I did, what I think, what I say, who I am, they wouldn't be able to have a relationship with me. She runs back into town. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made her way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food that you know nothing about. See, he's still on this. He's playing with his disciples too, right? He told the woman he has water she didn't know anything about. Now he's going to say, I got food you know nothing about. And they said, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was fueled by the mission of the Father. That was his fuel. That was his food. I mean, it doesn't mean he didn't eat food, but I love that saying. 
And then Jesus said, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wages and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus is saying, uh, there's partnerships that happened. First, the harvest is ripe. Don't say it's four months. Don't say it's four months. Um, we're, we've been going very gradually through this gospel fluency, trying to go fairly methodically. But you know what? There's nothing stopping you from this week sharing with someone what God has done in your life or listening to a longing that they have and asking the Holy Spirit to show you how Jesus can meet that longing. Don't say four months from now. Don't say four. They're ready now. People are longing for Jesus now. People are longing for Jesus in every pore of their being. I was longing for Jesus. Didn't know it was Jesus I was longing for. I thought I had, my dad had to get fixed. I was longing for Jesus. Didn't know it was Jesus I was longing for. I thought my boss had to be better. I was longing for Jesus. Didn't know I was longing for Jesus. I didn't know he could be that gracious. People out there are longing for Jesus. I had a 14-year-old kid in my youth group. He, was, he surprised me one day. He was super philosophical. He said to me, he said, Steve, do you know what I am? I said, what are you? Because I'm a secular humanist. I said, well, I've heard of that. He said, do you, do you know what that means? I said, well, yeah, but what does it mean to you? He says, well, it means that, I, that after I die, I cease to exist. I'll maybe only live for 80 years. And so... My goal in life is to be remembered after I die. Okay? So right now, I'm trying to do that by doing good things. But I've come to realize that the people we remember the most are the people who did evil things. And so if it doesn't work in the early part of my life by doing good things to build a legacy so I'll be remembered in the future, I'm going to switch plans and start doing evil things so that I will be remembered. Because more people remember Hitler than they do Winston Churchill. I said, based on a secular humanist worldview, that's good reasoning. But I reject the secular humanist worldview. <laughs> when I look up at the stars, I don't say, oh, look at the galaxy. I'm so insignificant. How can I be made significant? Why do I think differently? Then this young guy. So this young guy, he, a secular humanist worldview, will look up at the stars, look at, say, wow, the cosmos is huge. I can see 1,500 stars, and I know that there are billions. Who am I? David, in, in the Psalms, he, he, he says, when I look at the stars, I say, what is man that you are mindful of him? One thing changes his perspective, pulls him out of this crazy thinking that this 14-year-old was, and that's the reality of God. That God knows his name. That God loves him. This 14-year-old, I didn't know it at the time, I didn't know all this, was, he's looking for love. He's looking for someone to care for him. And as Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has eternity in his heart. He has eternity in his heart. 
I did, I, did I ace that conversation? I did not ace that conversation. I mostly listened, but I, I didn't know how to help him. But after the conversation, I'm, I, I listened some more. I thought some more. I dwelled on it some more. He has eternity written on his heart like it says in the Bible. And that's what he's looking for. And who's providing that? For God. So love the world. So love my 14-year-old friend that he gave his only son that whosoever, whether you're 14 or 84, whatever, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He is longing for the ending of John 3.16. So, let's grow in listening for longings. In our own high, I want, you know what? I hope you have thought this through a little bit since we've been, I've been coming back to it again and again because I want you to have your own Instagram story. I want you to have your own Snapchat photo that you can tell you about how you have found that Jesus is the better. Or maybe this experiment, if I just gave you a blank spot and said, draw the picture that that draw a picture that tells you what you've experienced, uh, how the gospel, the truth about Jesus has become good news to you, maybe just actually asking that question will take you on a journey to that destination where you realize that some of these things are just still up here. I have all this belief about Jesus up here. I have all this angst about what's going on in my life here. What if that belief about Jesus that's just intellectual right now could move about 12 inches into my heart and become experiential and become a story that I can speak to myself, that I can speak to my fellow brothers in Christ and, that, and sisters in Christ and that I can speak to those, I can declare to those in the world. Would you stand with me? Worship team, invite you back. This morning, I want to leave you. I want to leave you wondering. That's what I want the end to be. I want to leave you wondering. I want you to to, to ask that question. What's your What's your If you were to do a, an Instagram picture or a snap or a Snapchat or just a picture of your life. Maybe there's many. For some of you, you might be able to make dozens of these pictures. We say, I knew intellectually that God was affectionate, but then I encountered him in this struggle. I knew God intellectually was affirming, but then I encountered him in this struggle. It became real here. I knew God was gracious on paper, but then I knew God was gracious in real time. When I encountered him here. I want you to, that's what I want you to and go away with, is wondering about this area, asking yourself this question. How is the, God, the gospel, how is what Jesus has done good news to me in these areas that I'm still angsty, upset, concerned about? And then, I think it'll train your ear to hear the longings that other people bring.
in the world. The angst and the pain and the suffering and the concern and the statements and the philosophizing, it'll become more clear. It'll become more clear. And ultimately, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit is there to help you, is there to help me. So that when we're in that moment, you say, I just don't know what to say. Here's the thing about 1 Peter. He says, you need to have an answer for the hope that you have. Some people thought, I need to have all the answers for every objection. You don't need that. It's good to have some answers for objections. But you don't need to be the Bible answer man to actually share about Jesus. You need to have an answer for the hope that you have. These are the hopes that I have and that I can spell out clearly to you. And I have an answer. And the answer is that Jesus has done these things. I didn't do any of them. Jesus has done these things. You need to have an answer for the hope that you have. You don't need to have all the answers. A person with an answer and the Holy Spirit is equipped for the harvest. That's you. That's you by the grace of God. Let me pray with you. Lord, we... We started on this journey because we believe that you love our friends and our family members and our co-workers and our classmates and the people we meet in our everyday lives. That you love them. That your heart is for them and that you are not desiring for them to be separated from you eternally. That you, you, have, you have gone all out to make a way for them to have a relationship with you. So we started with that belief. We started that belief that your character, that your heart towards mankind is a heart of reconciliation. That your heart is a heart of restitution, of, of, of taking all that sin has destroyed and twisted and broken, and that you are making things new. So we started there. We started there. And God, we offer ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you. Would you help us? Would you help us? We see that uh, you left and left us with the Holy Spirit so that we would be empowered, we would be equipped to share with the world who you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us, you'd give us a, an awareness, a new awareness. Lord, help us to listen. Help us to sense the longings in other people's hearts. Help us in our own world. Lord, this transformation you want to bring for, to our own hearts yet that we have not, we have not experienced. This transformation that you want to bring to my heart that I have not experienced. There's beliefs that are still intellectual and they will become experiential. By your grace, by your leading, in your timing, you're going to reveal it in the moment when I don't think there's work yet to be done. You're going to show me a, cor a corner of my heart that you want to change, that you want to take out of darkness into light. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. So, Lord, I ask that you would just lead us, lead us. Every week we're asking for this. Lead us, Lord Jesus. You're the best leader we could ever have. So lead us. You're such a good provider. You provide the experiences we need, the resources we need. You provide divine appointments and relationships in our lives. People come across our path, and we think it's coincidental, but, God, you're orchestrating things. You have set in advance work for us to do to display 
who you are through a life that's changed and to declare who you are through our words. Lord, we just trust in you. We trust in you. Help us in every aspect of this challenge to take your mission into a needy world. We ask that in your name. Amen.